Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We'll rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of the video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched The Doors. chronicles the life of Jim Morrison, played by Val Kilmer. As a young college student, he started his band The Doors, and they saw a meteoric rise in popularity. Along with the fame came plenty of public controversies and private turmoil in his relationships. Screenplay by Randall Johnson and Oliver Stone, directed by Oliver Stone, and released on March 1st, 1991. Now, I know you've seen this movie before. Yes. And I think you even said that you were dreading watching this again at one point. Or that you were at least just not looking forward to it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is my first time watching it. Uh, And I guess I understand why. (laughs) It's too long. And... Okay, the first... I only watched this movie once, and I was 12. I remember this movie distinctly for some reason. I watched it with my aunt, who was, like, babysitting me. She put it on, and I was just watching with her, and I was like, what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) (laughs) Especially because there's, like, a lot of sex in it and, Uh like, drugs. And the one part where I was like, what is going on... The part where I was laughing to myself for the second viewing is when he was with the writer girl who's the Wiccan. The journalist. Yeah, the journalist. I shouldn't say writer Patricia girl. Patricia Keneally. Yeah, his quote-unquote wife. Second. Um, well, I don't know if he had a first. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, he, Wiccan wife. His Wiccan wife. Uh, when they first get together and they do that whole blood ritual thing and they're like, crawling around animal animalistically yeah i was like what the f-? <laughs> as a 12 year old i'm going what the fuck to myself and now as an adult you're still saying what the fuck to yourself probably well now i understand some more context a jim morrison more. i don't think i do <laughs> i don't think i do um this very much felt like a fan fiction movie written by people who had heard things, who had heard things about Jim Morrison and the Doors, and just decided to slap a whole bunch of scenarios together in one big long string, and forgot about the whole idea of cohesion and relationships and uh, plot and everything. It's just like a series of fucking snippets of events. But of his life, I want to know, if it's called The Doors, I want it to be about them collectively. I know he is, like, when when they became famous, he was the forefront of everything. And, you know, he's being told, you are The Doors, so fuck these three other guys. And there's, like, little tiny bits of dialogue where they're like, we do everything unanimously, we don't do it at all. And Jim's like, well, like when he's at the iconic photo shoot where, you know, like the poster that every fucking college kid has up yeah, in their yeah. room is made. Um, you know, he's like, well, where are the rest of the doors? And the photographer played by Mimi, Mimi Rogers, Rogers, who we saw in yeah. Rapture, is like, you are the doors. Yeah. Like, it's that kind of so, thing. Like, but she, he's too fucking head. drugged out. Yeah, he's drunk he and drugged. Where he's like, all right, whatever. And so, like, this movie is not just Jim Morrison's story only. But it's also, like, for some reason, the worst representation of him. But it's romanticizing that worst interpretation of him. Like, I don't know anything about Jim Morrison. But all they show of him is this stupid, egotistic, narcissistic, like, self-involved, super pretentious, alcoholic, right. drug addict who's abusive. 
Yeah. And maybe and, uh, there's more to him than that. Like his his bandmates seem to think that there should have been more than him t- portrayed because that's what they saw apparently. You have, but to, like this is somehow like the 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 version that like this is his what good they, side. <laughs> yeah, like this is what Oliver Stone and, and Randall Johnson decided. Like, yes, this is exactly this is this is our idol. Like it's really portrayed as like this is this is our hero. Yeah, like, this fucking guy. You have to look into, I, okay, one of my new favorite podcasts is Bandsplained, and the host, Yasi, she did an episode about The Doors. I had to re-listen to it just to reacquaint myself, (laughs) but you have to know that um, during that time period, like when he was, this is in the mid 60s where everything is very wholesome and like like you know Brady Bunch we're one big happy family the Beach Boys the Beatles the Monkees so they are considered like this first like rock like sex cells yeah they're they're in essence like one of the first punk bands right Right. he yeah he is like considered to be an inspiration for a lot of punk bands from the 70s yeah and i i get that on a historical level that and but like him as a person you know yes him as a person because like i already had the understanding of like the 60s being the time of like freedom and counterculture and rebelling against the government who's doing all these different things and trying to push back against the 50s ozzy and harriet idyllic neighborhood norms of leave up to beaver and all this kind of thing so I understand that perspective of it, but it's like the movie is like treating it as if you know, like oh, he's such a tortured artist. Look at how good his poetry is, and like he's like this under un misunderstood genius. You know, right? Like, like, like everything brooding... he's done is like absolutely amazing, and he's like yeah. you know, like you if you the don't tortured get it, soul. yes, like you are too stupid to understand the beauty and poetry of Jim Morrison. Yeah, that's why when. I was, okay, I went through, like, a Doors phase for, like, a year. Okay. But I wasn't, like, obsessed with Jim Morrison. I was more of, like, obsessed with their music because of how melodic it was. Sure. Like, if you listen to... It's unique. Yeah, if you listen to their music with noise-canceling headphones, just, like, you can hear every instrument. Like, you can focus on one instrument at a time, if that makes sense. Sure. And then just listening to all of them collectively as a whole was cool. But, like, I never gave a shit about Jim Morrison. But there was, like, when I was in high school, like, dudes who would, like, idolize him. And I would be, like, rolling my eyes because it's just like, oh, I'm this tortured soul. You don't get it, man. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, like, how it is then and that's how he is he's like well if you so when we start in the sort of in the beginning of the movie he is in film school right and all these people are critiquing this film that he made and they're like you know talking shit about it and he's like fuck it i quit yeah because i mean it is you don't understand my art so yeah whatever thing that they showed i have no idea if that if it has any basis in reality as to something that he actually made in film school or if it's just something that again was just fan fiction made up it is incredibly pretentious just like everything else he does and i think part of the problem is like this movie i don't know they they treat his tortured soul act that is partly made up like you know because he he at least within the confines of the movie too where when he's a young kid in 1949, he's traveling down New Mexico Road, and he claims to have seen this crash yeah. with Native Americans dying on the side of the road, and he as a little kid, played by Oliver Stone's real-life son, is watching this event unfold while his parents just drive by and don't do anything to stop and help, which he resents for some reason, even though the cops are already on the scene and helping whatever. And yeah, that's tra- Like, he saw death. That's his first um, traumatic event he Supposedly. saw in f- before his eyes. But it's not real. 
Like, that event didn't actually happen. But he just said it did. He just said it did. So To give okay. himself this tragic backstory right, like, of the tortured artist like, because he's full yeah. of himself and a narcissist and a liar. See, yeah, I don't... Right? Yeah, I've read things where... <laughs> and, like, in the movie, he says that his parents are die- have died, but t- Patricia uncovers that, no, they're not. Because so his father... So he's just father, making shit yeah. up. Right. Well, because he, he's also, like, this poor me tortured soul yes because he his father like we don't i don't know too much about his childhood because he is like um an army brat his father was in the army and he moved around a lot and his father is like one of the reasons why vietnam started okay so that's why he is he's like telling... totally separating himself. Yeah, he's he's like... See, that would be so much more interesting to see in the movie. The journalist says that for, like, when she finds out about his... Like, your parents are still alive because I called your house or some shit. Right. But, and then she looked into his father and she's like, yeah, he was at the Battle of whatever. Yeah, but it doesn't really, like, say, like, he's one of the architects of the Yeah, but he, when I listened to Bansplain, like, I had to learn, or yeah. just, like, reading up a little bit about his life, that his father was, like, one of the main leaders of, like, the beginning of Vietnam, and he's, like, resenting his father. He doesn't say too much about, like, his mom's side like which i mean th- this movie doesn't say a whole lot w- about the women's sides in general but i think okay here's what here's what i'm trying to get at overall is that like this movie presents like these fake ass arguments as well and they show his drug use and his alcoholism and they just sort of play it off as an excuse for his bad behavior because he is such an amazing genius tortured artist like that's how the movie portrays him i don't know how he is in real life I'm not trying to, like, dispute that. I'm just saying how the movie says is based off of its own admitted bullshit. And it bothers me. (laughs) That, like, they go down this road of, like, it's okay that he does these terrible things to people. Because he's an artist. Because he's a tortured artist and he's a genius and he wrote this amazing song. But they also show that he did not write some of the songs. Right? Like... Uh, you know, when, when they're, when they're when doing light my fire, yeah, like yeah, light my fire, that hit. was Robbie Krieger and they show that in the movie. So like, I don't know how many others or who's, they don't really show the collaboration because There's this movie least, does not like, show the band that much. That does yeah. Not I want to show... see the band. It's called the doors. <laughs> I wanted to know more about the other three guys, mm-hmm. not just like, Hey, yeah, let's let jim do whatever the fuck and we're just here for the ride type of deal but okay robbie krieger i'm just gonna say he wrote light my fire love me two times touch me and love her madly the the movie does not give robbie credit for the 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 keyboard intro to light my fire they show ray saying give me five minutes and i'll work out the intro and he just does it right (laughs) you know yeah ray is and it doesn't really show how they all got together really no it's like yeah like it made it seem like they all knew each other somehow yeah this is the problem with this movie one of the problems with this movie is okay so he's in ucla film school ray is one of his classmates who actually kind of likes his movie uh, Oliver Stone is the teacher, is a cameo there. And then, like, the next scene is, like, some time passes because Jim sees Ray on the beach, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, hey, where have you been? And he's like, oh, I went to the desert and, like, found myself. Right. And then they either shoot the shit a little bit, and he's like, and I've been writing some poetry. Here's my poetry. Like, you should read it right now. And, you know, Ray's I also, like, ra- this is I also write songs. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, well, sing some for me. Oh, I'm pretty nervous, me. And then, like, and, and then he sings something. He's like, let's form a band. And the next scene is, like, my fire has been written. Right. Cool. Yeah, how did you get to know the other two guys? How, yeah, whatever. It's, it's, it's... And we talked about the Josephine Baker story that does something similar, where it just kind of, like, jumps time and does things. But the difference there is, like, it was enough... I guess it's just the character, right? Because Josephine Baker is an interesting woman yeah. who, like, and it's just one person, so it's easier to just care about the one person. But there's nothing, um, 
shitty about her that's being portrayed. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the doors, like, I don't care to learn more about the doors now because Jim care. Morrison is a total fucking asshole. And I don't give a shit. Like, sure, the music's, like, I don't, I don't have a problem with the music yeah, it's either. it's like they put up with his antics yeah. to be famous. And, like, the weird thing about this movie is, like, Doors music is omnipresent. There's only maybe, I don't know, like, five songs that are not Doors songs within this entire movie. Yeah, they play a Doors song through each... It's always in the background. Yeah. And that's scene. fine. I don't have a problem with that, but, like, I was so distracted Showcase by what was songs? going on. Oh, that, okay. Yeah, like, aside from the major hits, and, like, when he uses the popular songs to be on stage and go on a rambling rant where he antagonizes the audience or just goes on this drunken stupor ramble, you don't really get to celebrate any of the songs, like, at all. This is not a celebration of their musical catalog. It's not even really a showcase of it. When they do show them playing concerts, it's always when Jim gets arrested. Yeah, or he's like you know, going off script and like the band, like you see the band like giving awkward glances to each other like, what the fuck? I guess we're just going to like, I think they show the beat while he fucking like talks about, I think they did it once when they first were playing at, what was it? The London fog. Cause they started out like in LA, they played at this little place called the London fog. I don't think it's around anymore, but then they went to whiskey a go, go, which is still around in Mm. LA. But, um, I guess, you know, Jim Morrison was shy. He does say that. He's like, I'm shy. So he would be, when he would sing, he would be facing the other way. Yeah. And they do show that. Yeah. But then when he turns around, like all, you see like girls falling over, like, oh my God, he's hot or some shit. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm talking about like the parts where he's like, he's at like Whiskey A Go-Go and and, and they're playing the song and it just goes on forever because he's just spouting stream of consciousness bullshit that yeah pops he's like improv yeah songs for like which five he minutes did. and yeah. we get to see the whole five minutes of asinine i actually shit. like this that's the song the end that's like a 13 or 14 minute song oh. so but he the recorded version is that okay i don't but like it oedipus uh it's about like oedipus's story but okay, this is then, what I'm saying. This is not a celebration of the music because I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's other parts, you know, where he changes the lyrics and shit, and like, he, right? Or I he mean, just, like he just literally just says like the audience is dumb, like you know. Yeah, he's like, "Why are you coming to the show to see us? You sellouts!" It's like, "Why are you calling the crowd sellouts?" Right. Whatever. Yeah, he just stops the song so he can just yell at people. Yeah. And it's like, oh, he's such a free spirit. Like, okay, fuck off. But I think people, I don't know, I think people at that time would be like, I hear Jim Morrison just goes the fuck off on stage, so I want to see this spectacle. Yeah, I mean, there are but then artists also, that do that now. Yeah, we've been to one. Yeah. <laughs> Brian yeah. Jonestown Massacre. Yeah, like, they have a reputation. There are other the guy, people but, who have reputations. Yeah, they, the lead singer of that is known to just be like, wait, hold on, stop everything, and then he goes off. But I think the one, I don't know, we saw that 15-ish years, more than that, I don't even know. And I feel like when he did do that, it was just kind of like, people expect us to do it, so I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. It's not like, yeah, this. it's this, like scripted. This is routed as like, this is rooted in alcoholism and drug abuse and like self-destruction but the movie passes it off as again just like him being a tortured artist and so this is genius but no it's just fucking self-destructive selfish behavior so it's not fun um and again like the, the other thing about this movie is like it's just jim morrison so, like, there's definitely a band there. We even have a girlfriend, which is a really weird way that he meets the girlfriend in the movie, where he just follows her from Venice Beach, climbs through a window, and kisses her during a party that's happening. Um, and that's their meet cute And 
she's enamored by that. Yeah, and, and um, I guess that's a way to like wedge in a reference to the band will, name before okay. the band exists. Because like, do you have something against doors? I think they're a waste of time. Harvey or har. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I will say that she's like eighteen, and he's twenty-one. Okay. At this point. And then spells yeah. poetry, and of course she falls. Spells poor, but she's kind of like his muse. This is Pam Corson, Pam Corson played by yeah. Meg Ryan in this case. Which is such a weird casting thing. When I saw this when I was younger, I was like, why is Meg Ryan doing this? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's fine, but I was like, I'm so used to Meg Ryan doing rom-coms and seeing her in this way of like doing drugs and having sex and stuff, I was like, whoa. Maybe that's why. Like, but like she wanted to not be a wholesome... Yeah, maybe she wanted to expand a little bit because she had Actress. been doing, you know, what, like, you know, When Harry Met Sally, where she got a Golden Globe nomination for yeah. it. She had done Top Gun, which is, like, not rom com but she has also been doing, like, Joe versus the Volcano and stuff like that. And so. But that's still, like, silly, cute. Yeah, yeah. It's like. Stuff. So, like, yeah, When Harry Met Sally and then Joe versus Volcano, she has starting to get this reputation and maybe she wanted to break free from that? I don't but know. But even afterwards, she or does, like... Or maybe just work with Oliver Stone? Kate like, and Leopold, you know? Oh, yeah. After, like, after this, she just kind of goes back into her bread and butter. Yeah, going it's back like sleepless to you, in Seattle, you've, you've, you've got, got mail. mail. <laughs> um, That's why I'm just like, she has those movies, like, rom-com, this movie, maybe a couple others, and then back to... The actual rom-coms. Like, I know she did, what was it, like, uh, what was that, City of Angels? Yeah, City of Angels. And that was kind of, like, really dramatic for her. So, I I mean, I don't know why she did it. I don't know why virtually any of them decided to do it, other than they wanted to work with Oliver Stone, perhaps, because he does have prestige around his name around this time, even without JFK. Um, Because I I don't think it had released yet. This was first of the two 1991 movies he did. It's, it's still weird, but, um, like, she's obviously in the movie to a degree, but she just sort of, like, floats in and out as the plot needs to have a girlfriend to be disappointed by what Jim is doing. That's it. The scene, okay, this movie or, is Or to, too... like, confront against his cheating behavior, which, right. I, which is weird, because... She's, it's... like, semi-okay with it? She's like, yeah, I know he's gonna do this, <sighs> well, but then... I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird that, like, as long that as they he comes don't home already have an open relationship, considering yeah. they're, like, free, hippy-dippy, mid-60s counterculture people, right? Yeah. Like, you'd think that that would be, like, part of the assignment of their relationship? Is like, but yeah, think... they just have an open relationship. But neither of them actually wanted an open relationship, evidently. But he... Yeah. It's... The one... Okay, this movie's two and a half hours. They could have gotten rid of that whole Thanksgiving scene. Like, I don't care. Considering it didn't result in anything, yeah. But it's like... is I guess... I don't know. The only thing that it really shows is that... Publicly, yeah, he cheats on her. Well, well, not only that, like... And then he brought... It's, it's confronting about the cheating. Yeah. But it's also about... Um, showing that members. everybody is seeing him act like a petulant child. Right, and people are like, yeah, I'm done with this. Right. But I feel like you can show that... Where he's, like, throwing food, confronting, being confronted about the cheating, and he doesn't take it very well that he got caught cheating, even though he had been caught cheating before in the elevator after uh, 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 Andy Warhol's party. (laughs) Um, But then as soon as he sees her cheating later on, he fucking puts her in the closet and then lights, lights the fucking the... door on fire and leaves the house which right. is that real did that happen i don't even see i she died three years later and i don't know much see that's three years after I... he did not three, three years, years after, after yeah i don't know much about her side of the story i know there are books written about like she has something and i know there are books written about him from the band members and it's like all compiled into this movie in these random key moments. I don't know if that happened. But I mean, if that really did if happen, he said like if he's that, that fucking unhinged that he traps a woman in a closet and lights the door on fire to walk away, then just like, no, of course I'm never going to care a, a single bit about anything Jim Morrison again. Pretending to be, like, open and, like, free, but then, like, still super controlling. Yeah, that's, like, how 
men are today. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not really even gaslighting, I don't think. It's just, like, it's just, yeah, like, the, the fucking old school mentality that's... Like, you're mine. This, yes, you are mine. You are not allowed to do what I do. I can do it, but you can't. Yeah. Yeah. And I then, you know, hip, hip, <laughs> like, hypocritical. Like, yeah, yes. she's like, you're a fucking hypocrite. And then, but she still goes back to him. And yeah. she just, I know she, like, beats herself up about it. She's like, I can't, it's like an I can't quit you yeah. situation. Because she's like, he's such a great, she's really, like, uh, wanting him to be, she finds his poetry, like, really great. And she finds him to be a great artist. And she wants him to be famous because even that part where she's they do that thanksgiving thing she's like getting all his poems together she's like i want to make a book Uh of your poetry yeah she wants to be his biggest fan yeah i mean it's it's really tough to know what her motivations really are though because you don't get to spend enough time with her or them together honestly and same thing with the bandmates. We don't really know how they react to each other. We see them like say, "Yeah, all for one, one for yeah, all." Yeah, I want to know at times, about but like each one of they're them. They're never really together all that much to have conversations about shit. Uh, there, there's a part again, like after he sees her cheating and does the the trapping her in the house thing, um, and he goes off on a whole nother rant where at another festival or whatever and like there's the bonfire and the native american spirits which is a whole nother fucking thing because like the native american spirits that keep showing up throughout the movie are again based off of this 1949 crash yeah he it's still which is fucking made up it still haunts jim morrison yes this fake event haunts him Throughout right. the entire movie. unless it's something that he did when he was doing peyote he said i guess but, um yeah that's where I was like, okay, now I see how Oliver's, Oliver Stone, I can see where he's going with Natural Born Killers. I need to see that again, I guess. Because it's been There's a lot so of Native long. American imagery in that too. Maybe it's like weird guilt that Oliver Stone has of for some reason. Maybe this is like his memory that he's, you know, I don't know, whatever. Kind of like how what he, in JFK... Not with Nate, just like right. he wants to show his, like, this is my story of JFK, you know? Yeah, okay, so I, I do I do want to talk about that at some point, okay. too, right? So, like, this, as I mentioned before, is, like, basically historical, loosely historical fan fiction. JFK is largely similar, but the difference is in the subject matter and what is being portrayed on the screen in that... What I said about JFK is that the truth doesn't matter in that movie because the movie is about trying to find the truth and how impossible that task is. So there's like mixed media. There's, you know, real life historical footage mixed in with reenactments and all this other stuff that's happening in JFK. There's also a huge amount of style that's employed to give it that nuance. It's it, And it has like depth of structure in there there is actual plot progression there's something you can actually understand even though it bounces between the timelines this movie is pure style with no thought to the substance of it at all you do have a couple little spots where like, there's like super 8 video when them like playing around in san francisco when they're starting to get big and they're like in the yeah. ashbury district and whatnot there's like, even the opening scene where you see Jim, which is a, a flash forward, uh, with, like, him reading off this pretentious-ass poem, and it's, like, really low light, and the camera is like, focusing on, like, little, like, the half-belly of his shirt or some random piece of cloth, and it's not, like, actually looking at anything important because you're not supposed to see what Jim Morrison looks like at this stage yet. Mm-hmm. Just the random shots of lizards that happen like multiple times throughout oh, this yeah, movie he's because he's the lizard, lizard king. king. Yeah. And so of course you have to have that obvious imagery in there. Like this is just it's just shitty all <laughs> <laughs> It's just pure style. It doesn't have the same like cohesiveness to like tie it like 
the movie making is almost too free spirited to cover a free spirited movement era of a thing because it just doesn't it doesn't lack any structure we need to have more glue between the different scenes i can't go from fucking ed sullivan's performance where he oh man he said the word he wasn't supposed to say on ed sullivan and now all of a sudden he's at andy warhol's party for 10 minutes where you have like wavy camera work and like the bandmates are like trying to like pull him away from the vultures and the groupies at andy warhol's party yeah. and stuff there's nothing connecting those dots it's just like random key moments and controversies mm -hmm. that Jim Morrison and the band went through. It's just like, let's show, yeah, that, because at that time, it, you're not supposed to say the word higher. This is like even, yeah. I mean, we you can't see get that. much higher. Yeah, you can't say that during that time. I mean, even I understand. Even though you could it. easily Fix talk the it word. off yeah. and say, oh, I don't mean higher as in drugs. I mean spiritually yeah but he says it anyway and, and he, he looks straight anyway, and like he's in not invited back to the sullivan show oh, but well. we see there's like so many biopics now like elvis you know like you can't i get it yeah during the time standards and practices people were in a tizzy about a lot of stuff people like are still in tizzies about all kinds of other stupid things that they yeah. shouldn't be in tizzies about especially in the book banning side of things but there's there's no filmmaking cohesiveness to this at all like it the style of the way it's shot is different from scene to scene and because each scene is its own thing it just creates like i don't know almost feels like 20 different people made this movie and didn't combined notes or forces this movie made me like not mad but like it made me disappointed like because i do really like jfk still i don't there are sometimes movies where i watch with a director and like did i actually like the other movie that i saw because this one's so bad i still like jfk yeah but this one I mean, do you have to like every movie a certain director does? No, but I'm saying like when something is so off balance, like when something is like so good mm. compared to something that is like not this good, bad, it makes me question. Like it sometimes this... makes me question like, well, wait a minute, did I like was I uh, was I gaslighting myself to, <laughs> to like this? Yeah, like, or like was I fooling myself? I think what really nailed i was long gone by the time this happened but what really nailed the coffin shut on this is okay there's there's a trial right that happened in 1970 where you know because he had like lewd and public behavior where i guess he exposed himself or not i don't yeah, know it, it's not even in the um, movie they show it's his finger going through his fly but like maybe it was his actual penis in real life I don't yeah it's know. not even people to this day don't even know if it was or wasn't him exposing himself. Like, like it could have been the cops just like trying to do things or like what we saw with like Madonna Truth or Dare where, you know, like you like gotta be careful what you show on yeah. the stage. Um, but there's a trial and he was sentenced to like public service and such and such and things. And then he decides to get Wiccan married to Patricia and uh, she is pregnant, whatever. And, and he wants an abortion in the movie, but apparently Patricia in real life says that wasn't the case. After he is sentenced, there's like this big crowd surrounding him, and there's a whole bunch of imagery that's shown on the screen comparing him to all kinds of like what was going political on during martyrs that time. and like yeah. Martin Luther King and all these other types of figures. Yeah, and like fuck you, <laughs> like fuck you, Oliver Stone, Jim Morrison, is for not... being a self-absorbed asshole on stage is not the same as a civil rights leaders yeah he this shows is like not equivalent but they i think he was showing what was going because it sh also shows charles manson like true but that's also not, like an extreme like in the other directions like no obviously this is not as bad as charles manson either quit yeah. being so goddamn pedantic about this shit like don't i, I don't thought know. it was just showing Meanwhile, this is what's going on in the world while Jim Morrison's getting arrested. I think it's trying to compare him. Like it, it Comparing like him to Charles Manson and Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. That's like, so... Basically like saying like, yeah, this is, people think he's this. Oh, okay. You know, like, and he's being, per like all these people were persecuted in their own different ways. And now here's Jim Morrison. But it's not the fucking same. 
anyway, he leaves for Paris to avoid any actual political, uh, not yeah, political, any, to get any actual, arre- to go to jail. Yeah, any actual jail time, so, yay, hero. Um, and, uh, in, like, a year he's dead in a tub in Paris. Yeah, he moves with Pam. Yeah, this to is, Paris, to, to flee, uh, persecution. Right. It, th- this is, like, in a matter of five minutes. Like, they don't even show them in Paris together. It's just, like, one day yeah. they're... Well, the only scene in Paris together is her finding his body. Yeah, that's why I was like, well, what were they doing while they were in Paris together? Like, yeah. was he just, like, going down a downward spiral or what? And, um... But they don't show anything. Like, the because, trial itself was, like, two minutes. Yeah, that was, like... Yeah, that was all jumbled in the last 20 minutes. I, I think it's... Okay, it was just, like, leading up. At that point, it was him leading up where they were like, okay, you need to stop drinking and doing drugs. And I think there was a point where he did for a bit. Maybe. And um, everyone was like, yeah, you're doing great. But he was getting... He's, like, obsessed with death. That's what the movie makes it seem. Because of seeing that... that- the that accident. accident. Like, he's just obsessed with death, and he's, like, writing about this. And he's always saying, would you die for, to me, would you die for me to Patty? But, like, to everyone. Pam. Or Pam. Yeah, not Patricia. I'm, well, he probably did say to Patricia. He probably did, but, like, yeah, <laughs> there are times when he's, yeah, he's like, would you die for me? And then also he's talking about, like, how living is the hard part because it's more painful, and, like, when you're dead, you don't feel anything But there's, like, before, like I think that. this is right after he was arrested or the trial, like, he's in the hotel room, and he's on the ledge, mm-hmm. and everyone, like, I even think that the rest of the doors are, like, trying to call him in. He's like, Whoa. What does it all mean? What does life mean? Blah. I should just die. And it's, it's like he, I don't know if that was what he was going to, like he started to have maybe suicidal. That's why I wanted to know what was he doing in Paris? Like, was he still going down that downward spiral? Yeah, because the movie doesn't say how he died. They just show that he did die. Yeah, he died in a, like Pam found him just dead in a bathtub, and the way they show him dead in the bathtub makes it le- seem like it's art or something. Yeah, it's almost um, it's almost like the back view of the famous poster. Right. Because he has his arms across both of the, the sides on the tub. of the tub, and you see him. Yeah. But the light, like the light shining on his face, his yeah. dead face, and then been, that's kind of like the end. And I was like, called. yeah, because it, it, well, it, the last thing that happens is you have a handheld camera going through the graveyard that shows all the different famous performers yeah. who are buried in Paris. Yeah, and then the you Paris see Chess. all the graffiti that is on his tombstone and surrounding tombstones, showing that his fans are fucking assholes too. Yeah. Um, which thankfully has since I learned been cleaned up and like. You know, yeah, they have that it have caged up. Like you can't. It's like behind glass. Because I wanted to do go not there. deface gravestones. <laughs> right. Like just don't. Like <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then it has a little title card saying Pam died three years, three years, old, three years later. And yeah, it was just goodbye, like a... everybody. But when she died, it also even said it. She's buried as um, Pam Col- Corson Morrison. Which, I mean, if they did actually she, get married, I, we, don't, I, we didn't see that in the movie. We Yeah, we didn't see that in the movie, but... Was, yeah, all we saw was the Wiccan marriage with Patricia. Patricia, but even in the movie, when she confronts him that she's pregnant, he was like, we're not even together. Uh-huh. And she's like, wait, we got married. And he's like, oh, I was oh, like I fucking... Like, yeah. I didn't believe any of that. I was high out of my mind. I don't uh-huh. find that binding. But... Yeah, according to Patricia, she, you know, because that is her, she is Wiccan, like a Celtic Wiccan. She she said there was like a Celtic ceremony. So, like, according to her, they were married. But after Jim Morrison died, Pam was, like, in charge of his, um, like, estate, basically, until she mm-hmm. died. Yeah, they don't show that in the movie after his... They, they just said, oh yeah, by the way, Pam died and whatever. I think it's also important. But I they don't like... even say, like, um, what the other three got... Like, John no, Dinsmore, like, no... Ray does this, like, 
Like, what happened after he died? Yeah, there's nothing about that. I want to know... I mean, after, I had to listen to Bandsplain to know, like, did the three guys decide, hey... Let's keep touring and find yeah. a singer. Or let's or... let's go our separate ways. Like, right. what the fuck? Nothing. Last thing I want to say is, like, I know I've, like, railed on Jim Morrison a lot. I don't want to say that... I, I don't want it to come across... I probably did. I don't want it to come across that I'm, like, railing against people who are suffering from alcoholism or drug addiction. No, it's, it's not like it's Jim not about Morrison's that. persona. Yeah, it's about, like, the nastiest parts of him that come about from that. And this movie shows nothing but the nastiest parts of Jim Morrison. There's nothing redeeming about this person who also happens to be a drug addict and alcoholic. But, I, okay, Val Kilmer is, was very good in this Val movie, Kilmer was very good. Honestly, for the most part, all of the acting was good, I think. It, it was just weird but to see... But it's tougher to gauge some of the performances that are so small. Yeah, it was weird to see Frank Whaley in that wig. Yes, there something? And then was. Kyle MacLachlan in that wig. Even, like, yeah. Kevin Dillon, I guess. It was more believable with Kevin Dillon, but... Because he didn't wear a wig. Yeah. And Frank Whaley had this curly hair wig thing, which like is... Like a frizzy... I know that's what Robbie Krieger looked like at the time. It's kind it of like... It just didn't match Frank Whaley's face. It's like with all. JFK, the wig... Yeah, yeah, the, the Joe wig. Pesci wig. <laughs> yeah, the Joe Pesci, Pesci wig makeup uh-huh. is going here, too. But it's trying too much to look... I understand you want to look like the person you're portraying, but it's, like, so fake. I don't know. It's, like, obviously... Like, just don't even do it. It throws you off. Yeah, yeah. At some point, you should kind of, like, cut your losses a bit. Yeah. Um, Anyway, speaking of the cast, there is a massive cast, and there's no way I'm going to get through everybody at all. So I can go through some of the major ones. But, you know, we've seen some of these people before, like Frank Whaley we saw on JFK and Career Opportunities. By the way, he plays Robbie Krieger. The real Robbie Krieger is in this movie. He's a, somewhere in the backstage, I think, in the London Fog scene. I don't know if I'll be able to find yeah, a screenshot of Yeah, a lot of the of people, him. even uh, Patricia Keneally. Patricia Keneally is in there in real life as well as the Wicca Priestess performing the marriage ceremony. Um, so that's easier to find. You have John Densmore, Kevin Dillon's character, John Densmore. He also is there. He is the engineer at that last session that Jim is doing at the beginning. And then we flash... We eventually get there later in the movie where he's, you know, recording the poem and he's like, we got it, Jim. That's the real John Densmore in there. So there are a couple other people in there and we have cameos from a whole bunch of different musical artists as well in here. Um, as well as Bill Graham, who we've talked about before. He was also a producer on this movie. We saw him before in Bugsy and we talked about him then. Uh, yeah, about famous, his death. Famous rock, uh, rock promoter who died shortly after these movies were made in a tragic helicopter accident. He was the New Haven promoter who was basically saying, shut up or we're not going to have a show. Hmm. Uh, he also produced this movie. We also have a couple other musical acts who are just there randomly. Uh, Fiona, who had a big recording career in the early 80s. Eric Burden, who was uh, the main person in The Animals, who was also another big inspirational band from that same era. Uh, you have uh, Billy Idol in there as this guy named Cat. There's like there's a bunch of supporting people. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he Billy Idol's in it for like thirty seconds. So. No, he has several different scenes, but like but none of them just, make any sense. Yeah, for he's them just to like in there. the background he's for like, like thirty on. seconds each. And... It's him and it's it's cat and dog, and they're like there with Jim and and uh, the, yeah, I don't the know guy that who they are. Michael in Madsen relation. plays. Michael yeah, Madsen yeah. plays Tom Baker, this porn star type of guy. Yeah, who we've seen in Thelma and Louise before. They're with them. Like, all three of them are all together. Just, like, lackeys? Just, yeah, just following hangers on, the I guess. doors around? Yeah, probably suppliers is probably the, the okay. interpretation, but I don't know. Okay. And then also, Eagle Eye Cherry has a... Like, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't a recording artist. He was still an actor at the time. Um, or he wasn't a big recording artist, but he is there uh, in this. And the biggest one, I think, that uh, in terms of musical cameos is Paul Williams, who does a lot of acting work. Uh, he was the PR guy for Andy Warhol, who was like sending them around, like yeah, the one yeah, with yeah. the weird voice, right? Um, he's an Oscar winner for his work on a, the Star, uh, a Star Is Born, the Barbara Streisand version. He won an Oscar for that. He was also nominated for writing the Rainbow Connection for the Muppet movie, um, as well as like several other things. Like he's he's a big musical uh, legend as well. So 
Oliver Stone loves to throw a bunch of cameos. He loves to throw big, big casts at people. Uh, we already talked about a couple of the other people that we've that we've seen in here. Um, other notable random cameo sort of ish, just because their roles are so small. But like big people that came out of this, Lisa Edelstein, who wasn't big at the time, was the makeup artist of the Ed Sullivan Show. She went on to do House. Uh, Titus Welliver was the cop who maced Jim Morrison behind the scenes when um, him and Patricia were like about to do each other before the concert. Mm -hmm. He went on to do Bosch. He's the lead person in Bosch. You have uh, the girlfriends of the bandmates who got even less screen time and I, I know like maybe like one line of dialogue ever. We got Kelly who is Dorothy. <laughs> uh, she we saw her in 1991's Harley Davidson the Marlboro Man, uh, but she was also in Sunset Beach, Nash Bridges, Martial Law, Scorpion Kings, and uh, she's the voice of Karai in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and she also does Mortal Kombat uh, voices as well. And then Josie Bissett was Robbie Krieger's girlfriend. I don't think she had a single line at all. Um, she's in other, two other 1991 TV movies, Posing, and then also All-American Murder. Uh, she was also in the Valerie TV show, most notably known for Melrose Place, and then also Secret Life of the American Teenager, so she's there. Um, a couple of the in Native American people that we see in the desert, they're credited as Indians in the desert, so I apologize there. Uh, and then also the shaman was Floyd Red Crow Westerman and Wes Studi, who have done a bunch of stuff. Um... I don't want to get into all of that right now. Uh, Crispin Glover <laughs> played Andy Warhol, which was weird. I didn't like his Andy Warhol. <laughs> it was so weird. I don't know. I was like laughing. It was like lizardish to me. I don't know. Like, cause he's like always like licking his lips and shit. I don't know if that's like how Andy Warhol, cause I know people, you know, like Andy Warhol himself was like every, he was kind of like a recluse. Like he kind of did a good job playing that. You know how he has, like, his entourage of people, and it's like you can't approach Andy without right, going, going through, through like, 15 other people? Unless he beckons you. Yeah. yeah he's, yeah. like, oh, kind of like how Prince was, I guess. Approach him. Like, you'll scare him or something. But like, like, he's, like, very meek delivery. He's like, oh, I have this golden telephone, and yeah, I think it's yeah, God's yeah. telephone, so you should pick it up and answer yeah, it I don't know you. if that's, like, a thing. And then Jim Morrison just, like, shoves the telephone and someone else like here take oh, yeah, this yeah. anyway Christopher Glover is also in a couple other 1991 movies Little Noises Reuben and Ed and also 30 Door Key he's been in My Tutor he's been in Back to the Future of course he's been in Friday the 13th the final chapter with that wonderful dance he does in that uh, Wild at Heart Charlie's Angels uh, the, you know the newer movies well whatever the movies from the early 2000s and also Willard I'm not going to talk about Oliver Stone because he was in JFK. Uh, Randall Johnson, one of the writers, he did Dudes. He did The Story for Mask of Zorro. He did The Gun video game. And he's also done a couple episodes of Tales from the Crypt. So not a very, you know, massive Hollywood career. Val Kilmer is Jim Morrison. Saturn nominated for Heat and also Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Grammy nominated for the best spoken word album for Mark of Zorro. I don't understand how that worked uh, mtv movie nominations for most of uh, most desirable male for batman forever and heat and tombstone best male performance for tombstone best villain nomination for mcgruber i guess he was the villain mcgruber that's a spoiler <laughs> yeah. also uh, razzie nominated for island of dr moreau the saint and alexander and also nominated for the redeemer award for the movie val so i guess that's someone who has redeemed themselves from all their Razzie nominations in the past. Uh, aside from those, he's been in things like Real Genius, Top Gun, and Willow. The only nomination for this movie, uh, in terms of awards, was an MTV Movie Award nomination for Best Male Performance for Val Kilmer. That's it. I'm surprised there weren't, like, Razzies or something in there, you know? I think he did a good job. I th yeah, no, I I think Phil he did. But I'm just surprised, like somehow other the movie, people. Uh, yeah, like somehow. Do they the have movie one for makeup things. and hair? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. There should be. Yeah, and they have like worst accents in some cases, or they have you know like worst directors. I feel and... like this movie and JFK should have gotten worst for hair and makeup. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Meg Ryan is Pamela Corson. We talked about her credits for the most part. Um, so, yeah, I think the only thing that, that we missed were, like, her less-than-stellar ones, like the Stinkers nomination she got for Hanging Up and also Against the Ropes, which she also has a Razzie nomination for The Women. 
Um, but yeah, you know, we've talked about all of her other credits, including Kane Leopold, a favorite of ours. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin is Ray Manzarek. I don't think Ray, the actual Ray, participated in the making of this no, film at all. No, he didn't like it. I read. He did not like it, and I, honestly, I don't think the other two who did participate liked it when they yeah, saw the end result. No either. one likes. Who likes this? I want someone <laughs> to tell me. I want someone who gave this like a good review. Like, why do you like it? And don't say because Jim Morrison is God or whatever. Right. Like, tell me. <laughs> yeah. What about the filmmaking? Did you like about this? Because I mean, we've we've had a lot of people uh, respond to us for liking movies that we hate. Yeah, so. I want if someone genuinely likes this, I want to know your thoughts. Because I'm just I've been reading reviews lately, and it just seems like everyone does not like this. <laughs> just like as a general, just going on Letterboxd and um, Rotten Tomatoes. I I I don't know. I guess I'm with them. I didn't want to be. I thought I thought I'd like it, but I didn't. Uh, anyway, Kyle McLaughlin as Ray, Emmy nominated and Golden Globe winner for Twin Peaks, which he was doing around the same time. Grammy nominated for the Twin Peaks Spoken Word album, whatever that might be. Uh, Stinkers and Razzie nominated for his work in Showgirls. Aside from that, he's also worked with uh, uh, David Lynch on Dune and Blue Velvet. He's also done a lot of TV work like Sex in the City, Desperate Housewives, and Portlandia. Kevin Dillon is John Densmore, Emmy and Golden Globe nominated for Entourage. He's also been in The Delta Force, Platoon, Remote Control, one of our favorite movies. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the, the Blob, No Escape, Hotel for Dogs, uh, and a whole bunch of other things there too. Um, there, again, there's a, just a whole bunch of other people. Kathleen Quinlan is the last one I'll talk about. She played the Patricia Keneally. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that last name right. Anyway, she's Oscar and Golden Globe nominated for Apollo 13, Golden Globe nominated for I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. Uh, she's been in Breakdown, Event Horizon, Family Law, and in 1991, she was also in the movie Strays. But there's so, so many more people in this movie that I could potentially mention. We just got to cut it off somewhere. Anyway, that's that. That's that. Let's close that door. Let's go to true crime pop culture. Okay, just one quick review this is one sentence that i saw on letterbox that had me laugh guffawing to myself guffawing <laughs> internally yeah uh the review is just this is what cooper saw in the black lodge <laughs> and that's what turned him into bob yeah but <laughs> <laughs> This movie was released on March 1st, 1991, which was a Friday. Okay, I'm going to talk about two things that kind of like coincide around the same time as this time period. So I thought that was interesting. The first thing that happened on this day, this is a famous death and I did not know this person by name, but this person is very prevalent for doing many things, mainly being the inventor of something that we all, well, I use and most people use, but people it, this our is, age. Yeah. yeah. So this is the, on this day on March 1st, 1991 was the death of Edwin Land. He was an American scientist and inventor, and he is best known as being the co-founder of the Polaroid Corporation. He invented the little filters that you put in the in instant camera photography that develops film within 60 seconds or less. That is his patent. And that was invented in 1948. But um, he has made, by the time of his death, he has, that he had some, by the time he retired, well, he had 535 patents, which surpassed Thomas Edison. I don't know how many... Because that was, like, the big thing about Thomas Edison is the people... Oh, he worked at the... People, yeah, people so think that, he stole he things came, because he, he worked, worked at the there? patent office. No, this guy didn't. I mean, there's, like, an obituary on him on the New Yorker, but it, it also shows that he was very um, secretive. Like, he didn't want to know a lot of... He didn't want a lot of people knowing about his life, so mm -hmm. I don't know if that was like a reason why there's not much about him like i even went on youtube to see if there was anything and there is there's something called the history of the polaroid 
but I don't think it's like an actual documentary about him. Yeah, it probably just mentions his accomplishments and contributions along the way. Yeah. But just a couple of things is that this is where I, I tie it in. He uh, he was responsible for building giant studio cameras, too, that were, like, the size of bedroom closets hmm. that well-known photographers used for their photography, and that include Ansel Adams and Andy Warhol. So hmm. he worked alongside with them. He was... He resigned as a role as a presidential advisor during the Nixon's Watergate scandal in 1973, and he was one of the names in Nixon's political opponents during that time. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Land himself disliked being written about or talked about, I guess, mm. and wanting to leave behind a legacy of published scientific work rather than a cult of personality. So his family, you know, is just very secretive. They don't know the cause of death. Well, they do, but they're not going to release it to sure. the world. I'm going to move on to TV. Something else I saw that was on NBC at this, on March 1st, and it's a show, I think. It's like a small series called Story Behind the Story. It's like a documentary style series, I think. When I did, when I was looking stuff up about this, it's very hard to find. And what I found on IMDb, it looked like it was only three episodes. And this was the first episode, which was about a book called Naked Came, a Str- Came the Stranger. I don't know if you any. Anything. I know nothing about Nathan Me neither. The, so the last one is about, like, the story. It's like a documentary thing, like the story behind the death of John Lennon. That's the last episode. Okay. So these are, like, controversial things. That, that's why I thought this was interesting because, you know, Jim Morrison's, like, a controversial figure. And uh, plus, looking for story behind the story in YouTube, I couldn't find anything because there's a show now called Story Behind the Story by, like, a Discovery Channel guy. So trying to find this 1991 version was very hard. I only found very limited limited information on IMDb. But the episode called Naked Came the Stranger is about this book that is that was released in 1969 with the same name, Naked Came the Stranger, which was a literary hoax. Okay. Um, so I guess, you know, I mean, this is also around the same time as The Doors. That's why I thought this was interesting. So it was also around the same time as, like, Ballet of the Dolls is mm-hmm. very popular, that book. So this movie, or this book came out and was written by someone by the name of Penelope Ash, but then it turns out to be a hoax because the Penelope Ash was like a pseudonym to be used, but in reality, this book was written by a group of 24 journalists, and it was uh, led by one of the journalists named Michael McGrady. So the reason why this was like a hoax is because this book became super popular because of Valley of the Dolls and it was like on the top 10 list like on um like the New York Times bestseller and it's like getting a Pulitzer Prize so they were I don't even know what this was it was gonna be the author quote-unquote Penelope was supposed to be on a talk show and when this author, quote-unquote, was supposed to come on the talk show, no one showed up because there is no Penelope Ash. It was these groups this, of journalists who made this book, right. and they made it. The book is about two hosts of a popular New York City radio show where they play the perfect couple, but then the woman finds out that her husband is having an affair. She decides to cheat on him with a variety of men. And then most of the book is taken up of vignettes describing her adventures with these men. So it's like her sexual desires with other men. Mm. And so they would purposely book 
the appearance on the talk show knowing full well that they were just going to like pretend like the author never showed up yeah okay. it was for the for a show the david frost show yeah yeah like okay the, you know the movie frost nixon yes that's the frost, and frost okay nixon. so it was the appearance was supposed to be on the david frost show and then you know the author never came on stage because there is no author that was this episode. It was a story behind the story behind the quote author of this book. So like yeah, how how that came to be and what they decided to do. Yeah, but I tried to find that on you like a the actual episode and it's not on no YouTube luck, yeah. at all. I couldn't even find it. But yeah, I just it just made me think of that one book that Oprah remember like twenty years ago. Oh yeah. Oprah had that one person on there with, like, the, the life story, and it turned out to be all made up. Yeah. This was, in, yeah, in 2003, in, where Oprah had, it was the author of A Million Little Pieces, because I think they were going to make a movie. Right. And, and the author, James Frey, came on, and he was like, yeah, none of this is true. Like, it's, I didn't read the book. No. But I guess it's supposed to be about, like, isn't it a memoir? And then he was like... He was like, yeah, no, this is true. And then he got called out on it, on Oprah. So that's what this sort of reminded me of. But there was no real person. Hmm. Yeah, I never heard of this book or this controversy. Yeah, I guess it kind of just died out once it was discovered to be a hoax. Yeah, it, it, like, it, it oh, didn't yeah, well, see... we don't care about the book anymore. Yeah, they don't... I think people were just, like, enraged. Like, oh, we're... It's kind of like, you know, all the rage with... Oh, like Fifty Shades of Grey or something. Like, imagine that author not existing, and all these people are like, oh, we want to know who the author is. Mm -hmm. And then you find out it's, like, AI or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It could be, like, AI-generated. Yeah, the fact that it was, like, multi-people is like, oh, that takes a lot of the appeal out of it. Yeah, like... We're like, not celebrating someone's creativity anymore. It's like, now it's, like, a conglomerate, like, piece of hoax. garbage. Yeah, and then... Yeah. And I guess that's what they wanted to do, these journalists were like yeah let's compile a book because the valley of dolls did so well so let's make our own version and then it did well and it was on all these top 10 lists on new york times bestseller lists and stuff so it was just like them proving a point whatever yes. i mean if it's a good book yeah. <laughs> like if you like proving the, the book, point that hey a good book sells well okay, yeah, okay. good job yeah <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to rankings and ratings then. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put the doors? This might be controversial to you. I don't know, probably not. I'm going to give this a two. Okay. That's not controversial. Okay. I don't know. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, I understand your reasoning. Like, you're, you have, like, a whopping five ratings total to go for. You leave the five for the best of the best of the best. You yeah. leave the ones for the worst of the worst of the worst. This There's is enough. Too, this is not... I, this is not... Okay, I, I like parts of this movie because it does show certain things where you're like, huh, okay, I get it. But I also like Val Kilmer in it a lot. Yeah, I do Val, too. I, I don't know why... I mean, maybe people just, like, ridiculed this movie where he was not even nominated at all for anything. I think it's just, yeah, what the movie had to offer. Like, it, it, it's the Val Kilmer show, in a sense, but there's no direction to the Val Kilmer show as I, Jim Morrison, so that, that helps I don't, nobody. Because I know I dreaded watching this movie, but, I mean, I there are other movies we've watched where I was like, this is fucking shitty and i don't right <laughs> yeah like okay so yeah on my zero to four star scale i'm probably gonna give it a one um again like filmmaking wise yes it's competent in that you have like proper lighting you have like different unique perspectives you have like mixed media but like it doesn't work in the same way that it does in other things so like you could have a lower production valued movie that is made better than this high production value movie mm -hmm. that has no direction of or idea of where it actually wants to go so that's that's something that's that's different it's it's i don't know when i see like there's so many like schlocky movies like something like terror within two you know like that's obviously a worse movie 
I don't know. It, it, it's tough to... Uh, this is why we have the question, every movie is worth watching once, would you watch it again? Because there are good movies that I don't care about and I don't want to see again. There are also bad movies that are fun enough that it's worth watching again, even though they're absolutely terrible dog shit. Mm-hmm. This, would you watch it again? I hope not. <laughs> I feel like... I don't know. When I saw this movie 30 years ago, it was like ingrained in my brain because like watching it again i was like i remember all these scenes i was like Mm. why was this movie like i only watched it once and it like impacted me in a negative way that it was still lodged in my brain memories yeah sorry for back any (laughs) and then watching it again i was like oh my god i remember this this like i met i remember all these scenes for some reason I mean, that, I guess that says quite a bit about the movie, but I mean, would I watch it again? No. Like this, in terms of like a biopic, I think it fails on That's every single That's what I was saying, front. like, th- there are very few biopics that are like good now. I don't, I can think of like a handful that are good. And I understand. Like what I said before, uh, the Tina Turner one is mm. like my favorite. And I understand that like every biopic is going to make stuff up. That's par for the course. Yeah. You're going to gloss over a lot of stuff. But the difference is, like like we said, Josephine Baker's story, we wanted to know more about her life after watching yeah, this. Yeah, it's... This one, I fucking hate Jim Morrison after watching this right <laughs> you, now. I don't want to know. And if some of the stories that they showed in this are true, then there's absolutely no reason to celebrate him at all in the very first place. Yeah. So, like, you failed... Oliver Stone. At showing, <laughs> at showing a good, a, him in a good light. Yes, at, at like making think, him like, and, and again, it didn't even celebrate the music of the Doors very well. Yeah, so like, I if you're not going to like show us the band, you're not going to show any positives about Jim Morrison, and you're not even going to show us like any like good aspects of the music. Like, I, I don't know, like the very first scene, sorry, like, <laughs> like there's, back, yeah. there's, there's a movie, or there's a song called Love Street, which I don't really know at all. That yeah. was interesting to hear. But then like, Every other new song that I've never heard before just kind of gets lost in the garbage of the stupid story that's almost being told here. I don't know. It, it, it's a failure. No, I'm not going to watch this again. <laughs> okay. If you want to watch The Doors, as of this recording in November 2023, it's available on Prime, Paramount+, Plus, Fubo, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the fullest of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going to watch probably a better music movie, Rockadoodle. That's on Prime, Tubi, Pluto TV, Hoopla, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. We will see you then.